Hey queens, are you ready to level up? Then join our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the female dating strategy where you can find weekly bonus content and FDS commentary on all the latest pop culture, relationship and dating news. If you just want to listen to the extra bonus content, we have the lurker mode tier on our Patreon. If you want merchandise, access to the private FDS Patreon discord, as well as FDS merchandise, t-shirts, mugs, and the opportunity to discuss topics with the FDS Podcast Queens live, as well as submit stories for our Rose Disco Queen and Gnosis discussions on the podcast itself. So if you'd like access to all this and more, visit our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the female dating strategy. What's up, queens? Welcome to the Female Dating Strategy Podcast, the meanest female-only podcast on the internet. I'm Ro. I'm Savannah. And I'm Willa. And ladies, and the gentlemen you hate listen to us on YouTube. <laughs> we had another show scheduled for today, but yesterday we received devastating news that Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court case that was the deciding factor in legalizing and protecting abortion rights in all 50 United States was overturned less than 24 hours ago as of when we're recording this episode. So we're shocked, we're devastated, we're angry, and there's just nothing more important to talk about right now. So we thought we would dedicate this entire episode to talking about Roe v. Wade and what we think the fallout will be, as well as strategizing a vision for our future where abortion rights are not guaranteed in the United States. It's wild. And it's not unexpected that it's come to this because I think from my understanding, the ruling like Roe versus Wade was always on shaky ground anyway. And several Supreme, I think it was Ruth Bader Ginsburg even said that it's likely going to be overturned. So even though it's incredibly disappointing, unfortunately, it's not surprising. And this comes down to, once again, people over-relying on the Supreme Court to make determinations for legislation that should also be done at the federal level by Congress. What has been frustrating, I think, is that I feel like a lot of women are feeling right now is obviously betrayal by the Republican Party for on behalf of the nation's women, but also from the Democratic Party and their absolute inaction on protecting women's abortion rights at the federal level for now what's been five decades of debate. And I'm not saying it's been easy. I'm not saying they haven't met, been met with opposition, but it does seem like it's been so often put on the back burner in favor of other issues, as well as a somewhat dismissive attitude about the reality that Roe v. Wade could be overturned. And there was no such bigger bumbling of that fact. Well, a lot of people argued that Ruth Bader Ginsburg should have retired during Obama's term. I'm not one of those people that's going to come down on her for that, because like, once again, I don't think it was, it should have been only up to one person in the government to determine all of protections for abortion rights for all of American women. There is things that could be done at the federal level, as well as like Obama not confirming an additional Supreme Court justice and pushing that forward before the election cycle, in which they lost the ability to make an additional election to, to the Supreme Court before the Republicans took control. Can I just say it's such bullshit and like your legal system is so fucked that Obama was not able to nominate any Supreme Court justices. He, he was in office for eight years and Trump was there for four. He was able to. He backed down to the Republicans. Or they blocked Merrick Garland. But he also like didn't fight it, right? It's one of those things where they said, oh, we're not going to approve anybody for eight months. And then the Democrats just folded on that. And then the Republicans did the same fucking thing. Who was it who died? Like, was it weeks before the election or something? And they're like, yeah, we're just going to... Ruth Bader Ginsburg, they pushed through Amy Coney Barrett. It was Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and then they fast-tracked Coney Barrett. Oh my god, they're such fucking cheaters. Like, your whole government is full of fucking cheaters. It's so shitty. I feel so angry watching it. Oh my god. Just a quick question is in, so say for example, there is a federal law that's passed that protects abortion. Can the Supreme Court overrule that? Yes, they can, but it's much harder. Right. Okay. I believe the Supreme Court is able to overrule or, you know, strike down any law even federally. I'm pretty sure there has to be like a court case that goes up through, you know, the court system that someone would have to like 
essentially sue the government, right? Okay, some of this was changed during the Reconstruction, which is like the post-Civil War era, but a constitutional provision announcing the supremacy of federal law, the supremacy clause assumes that the underlying priority of federal authority, albeit only when the authority is expressed in the Constitution itself, no matter what the federal or state governments might wish to do, they must stay within the boundaries of the Constitution. So consequently, the supremacy clause is considered a cornerstone of the United States federal political structure. So they can like strike down certain things as unconstitutional Right, but they can't just overrule it as like just because they want to. So basically how we would have to do it to enshrine it in federal law is both we'd have to make it a federal law, like push it through Congress. The Supreme Court could come back and try to strike it down as unconstitutional, but it could also be put forth as some kind of amendment, right? Like there's multiple ways to do this. And so why haven't they done that until now? Well, it's complicated. So basically, the central issue is that the way Congress is structured, you have the House of Representatives, which is based on the population of each state, and then you have the Senate, which is two people from each state. Each state gets two senators to represent them in the Senate. So the issue is, is that there's a lot of numeric-wise what we would like to call flyover states in the United States that vote heavily Republican and tend to send pro-life Republican candidates to the Senate. So any type of movement on abortion, even when it's had majority vote in the House. And they're overrepresented because they're like depopulated compared to like California, which is giant in terms of population, also only gets two representatives compared to like, I don't know, what's the population of Alabama? Hold on. Uh, Yeah, three million versus like what? How many people are in California? Like 65 million or something like that? Yeah. So unfortunately, that means that people within the Senate, each state has equal representation in within the Senate, which is often used to override ideas that otherwise have the popular vote by the American people, even in the House. Basically, you vote based on land, not on population for the Senate. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, within the bounds of your state, everybody gets two senators in the Senate. And that was a compromise that was made to balance out the power. Because remember, a lot of these provisions were made when we didn't have all these different states. (laughs) So this was basically a compromise that was reached even prior to us having 50 states in the United States to balance out the distribution of power between the more populated states and the less populated states. I mean, it's always contentious because of the fact that it can result in things like this, where a minority of people are pushing through polities that the actual majority of the population don't agree with. Yeah, like gun laws, abortion. Like gun laws, abortion. So this is going to be an ongoing discussion. So one of the things I wrote on my Twitter is that we have to, in order to start to push for abortion rights on the federal level, we will have to turn people in the red states to pro-choice. And there's no way to do that without actually talking to people who are conservative and specifically conservative women, conservative women especially, about why they support abortion bans and what their issues are. Because often people create caricatures about what people's concerns are about abortion rights and why certain women would be motivated to vote pro-life. I think that it's important to in this case, try to create some kind of bipartisan coalition of women to protect the rights of women to choose. Now, when we first had Elle on here, who's a Republican, we got a lot of flack from people. We got a lot of flack from the FDS subscribers. We got a lot of flack from the subreddit, obviously. We got a lot of flack from the FDS Patreon subscribers and from Reddit in general. But I think a lot of us saw this coming in the sense of like, if we don't start to reach across the aisle to women and talk to them about prioritizing women's interests, then there'll be this continuous divide and conquer strategy when it comes to parsing out women's rights in between the two parties. The Republicans will use it as a wedge issue. The Democrats will use it as a scare issue to raise funding. And in between are millions upon millions of women who aren't getting the care that they need. Agreed. I mean, like, personally speaking, I also have a lot more time for, I guess, conservative women slash Republican women in the sense because they are still, even though they may vote for these, you know, for these laws that disadvantage women, they're also affected by misogyny as well. And that is why I will, you know, continue to try to reason with them. At the same time, though, I also understand if somebody doesn't want to, because if they feel like it's too much emotional labor, that's fine. But I mean, ultimately, these are still women who are also impacted by misogyny, like you said. And, you know, just like Rose said, if, you know, we don't reach out to them, we can't leave them to the claws of conservative men. 
basically. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like we can't set them adrift because that's exactly where they're going to go straight to conservative men who hate women even more. And let's be clear about this. A lot of these states, even the women within these states who are advocating for abortion rights to be restricted, it's basically going to affect the poorest women the most. So there's a lot of people who talk pro-choice and the statements that's been made over and over on Twitter, but remains true is that this is really just abortion restrictions on women who can't afford to cross state lines, which is devastating for them because they often, they can't afford healthcare in the first place, period, in order to prevent the pregnancy. And then if they get pregnant, especially if it's through no fault of their own, they have no ability to terminate said pregnancy safely and healthily. Yeah. Like, isn't it basically a meme of like the Republican politician who sends his mistress to get an abortion in another state? You know, like, so this is only going to affect, like, first of all, these lawmakers are hypocrites. They're pro-choice in the sheets. The only moral abortion is their abortion. That's how they see it. Exactly. And even women actually who are pro-life or conservative women will, or right-wing women will have abortions and like they justify it in their head, but they still think it's wrong. They just like accept their punishment in their mind or whatever. And that's, and to be honest, I sort of feel like it's possible to be pro-life as long as you then don't extend that to other people. Like my sister sort of holds that position, which I completely respect. She's pro-life in the sense that she, she couldn't or wouldn't consider abortion, but she doesn't expect other people to make, you know, to feel the same way. Well, she doesn't feel like she can make that choice for other people. Yeah. A lot of pro-life people are the opposite. Like, yeah, again, if you want to be pro-life for yourself, that's part of being pro-choice is choosing not to have an abortion actually. But then a lot of these pro-life people, like they'll have an abortion or they'll, you know, make sure their daughter, their mistress or whatever has an abortion if they want one, but it's other people having an abortion that they want to regulate. So, and that's the problem. That's what the conflict comes down to. So I've been perusing a lot of conservative media, especially conservative women's media to get some kind of feel as to what's going on in the heads of the women who are celebrating today about the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And I was led to go to our favorite punching bag, Evie magazine, which is like conservative Cosmo. And they've name dropped us and called us incels on their magazine before. (laughs) (laughs) Or primarily conservative magazine. And when you read the comments, and I guess I link this in the show notes, when you link the comments to this, there's an article that was written that they put out called Overturning Roe v. Wade Will Improve Women's Sex Lives and the Quality of Men They Date and the long run. The increased likelihood of becoming a mother makes you think more long-term and more critically about what you do with your body. So the angle they're taking and what a lot of their readership is celebrating is the end of hookup culture, which is mind-blowing, right? Because we drag hookup culture and we've talked about how shit hookup culture is. Yeah, you don't need to ban abortion to get rid of hookup culture. God. Exactly. But you see how like they're recognizing the problem and then the solution that's been spoon fed to them is the devil's bargain where they're saying, oh, if you if you get rid of women's ability to have abortions, then men will be forced to stop hooking up and men will be forced to be more committed and romantic. You'll be able to say no to men. And, and quite literally, someone says in these comments, I'm glad for this decision because finally we'll put an end to hookup culture and women will have more of an excuse to say no when men are trying to pressure them into sex. So a lot of women on the right are who are young, especially are viewing this as a way to return to traditional values and put restrictions on hookup culture because they feel like they're being exploited by that culture. But the problem is, is that the woman still disproportionately bears all the risk and there's nothing stopping the guy from leaving her holding the bag. Or just raping her. And this is, again, this is what makes me so angry is that, you know, yes, we can say that it can cause men to be more careful because ultimately they're not the ones holding the bag. Like they're not the ones who are going to have to look for an abortion clinic or, you know, they're not the ones at risk of prosecution, which is why I fully believe that if they're going to restrict abortion, they should also, you know, pass restrictions on men as well. But it's not even just enough. I think people have a very ignorant view of what women, even who were married, went through before they had access to abortion care because it's more single women are getting abortions because there's just more single women, period. But it's not like single women exclusively get abortions. There's a lot of women who are married who are trying to escape abusive partners, women who were forced into marriages, especially if they come from poor areas or they're forced into marriages when they were underage. And women who already have children and they're happily married, but they don't want any more as well. 
Right. And women who physically need abortions, because even if they might not die doing it, it's just so high risk that they choose not to take the risk, right? They could face physical disability because of the pregnancy. Like there's a lot of things that can significantly decrease your physical abilities and quality of life that don't result in death. So if the only clause is the exception of death, you're basically saying that you have to always take on a massive risk to your physical well-being to carry forth the child to term, which could include things like permanent incontinence. You know, there's lots of things that affect women during the birthing process, like your blood pressure could go up. You could have like gestational induced diabetes. You could literally tear from your vagina to your asshole. Like there's so many complications that come with pregnancy. Yeah, but it's extremely frustrating to see this because I think what's failed in its messaging, and I think this is where a lot of feminists on the left, we have to do some soul searching when we're talking, when we're trying to converse with conservative women and converse with women on the right, is first of all, a lot of the women who get abortions, who got abortions, especially in older generations, have to talk about what it was like before then. Like It's so hard to actually find those narratives because so many women stay silent. And instead, the face of the abortion movement has become uh, tied in a lot of ways to identity politics rather than being shown as the healthcare decision that it is, right? For many, many women who cannot uh, carry babies to term for whatever reason, even if the answer is they just don't want to. I feel like some conservative women can be like worth working with and like, you know, organizing with and so on. But like, honestly, a lot of conservative women are just callous as fuck. Like Elle is is a good person. She's like, not like other conservatives, but like so many of these conservative women that I'm seeing, it's all about just like, it makes it easier for me to say no, if I don't want to have sex. It's like, first of all, they're so naive, like know what men are like, like you can just say no, and then just like rape you anyways, right? So a lot of conservative women are like delusional in terms of like, they hold men in a much higher esteem than they generally deserve. Uh, men can also lie as well. They can say, yeah, we'll have a relationship and then just ghost like that happens all the time. Yeah, like they're way too overly optimistic about male nature and like way, way, way too callous towards women. The fact that this could negatively impact other women, they don't even care. They literally see those women as like harlots and hoes and like they they deserve to suffer. Like they're actually that callous. Again, like, you know, we have to choose our allies carefully. And like some conservative women are not a monolith. Some women, yeah, like Elle, I feel like are worth conversing with and working towards like a common like pro-female goal. A lot of these women are just like, they just don't see it as like, they're just hyper individualistic. They're morally bankrupt. They overly identify with men and don't identify with women at all. And I just think that those women are beyond saving, honestly. I don't think they can't be saved. <laughs> I mean, I agree. There's a population that, of course, are never going to be convinced. But I think what I'm most afraid of is that we lose the information war about why abortion rights are important. And because we don't address some of the concerns coming from the right, like the right has basically effectively weaponized hookup culture to young women, as well as giving them the boogeyman that the left wants them to abort their children and not support their right to life. Right. So I'm like, I feel like if we don't address the boogeyman that they're creating, the women who are like who are changeable won't true yeah because a lot of conservative women are their anxieties are manipulated so easily by conservative men that's so true and like i used to be because i grew up in a really evangelical christian background i used to be anti-abortion anti-sex before marriage and it was really only when i went to university and started mixing with many of the lgbt plus crowd and you know more liberal people that my views actually changed so again it is possible but I think the caveat that is, it's also understandable if a woman or anybody doesn't want to engage and reach across the aisle. But I think there should be some leveling engagement across the aisle because, you know, somebody can be a staunch anti-abortion, you know, person is possible for them to change their mind, even if they dig their heels in, even if they believe that if you need an abortion, it's because you're a hoe, like I used to believe in, it is possible for them to change their mind. Yeah, exposure to different ideas is important, I guess. I guess what I'm trying to say is, first of all, in the United States, if we want anything passed on a federal level, then we have to reach out to women who live in red states. I, I know there's women that already agree with abortion rights who live in red states, but there has to be enough so that they can force their parties to consider pro-choice candidates, right? Like the biggest problem we have right now is that we can't 
make abortion rights the law of the land because there's not enough consensus within the United States on our federal level and definitely not on our state level. So what we're going to end up in this country is a hodgepodge of extremely draconian complete abortion bans and then abortion and reproductive freedom, which to me creates a really unfair burden on the women who are remaining in those states because let's be clear, the red states are disproportionately poor in comparison to most of the blue states. There needs to be like some kind of like refugee or like asylum program for women in red states. I don't know. Like I'd be fine with like, yeah, I feel like these states that are extremely hostile to women deserve to like when women leave the community, the community dies. So I just think the women there should leave en masse, leave all the conservative pick who want to be like forcibly bred. If they want to stay there, they can stay there if they want. But the ones who want to leave need to be evacuated. I want to like rescue as many. Yeah, like a refugee program to blue states. I mean, that could be an option. I mean, the issue is, of course, that these are poor states, so it's not easy for them to pick up and move. But I think as far as strategy about how do we help the women who need abortions within those states, I think you're correct in that some kind of strategy to set up a refugee program or asylum if they travel interstate for an abortion would be an effective and proactive strategy that could be enacted by the states that still protect reproductive freedom. And then those states are going to be like fucking handmaid's tale. They're going to have like border patrols trying to like, you know, try They're probably going to set up some kind of law like it's illegal to try to leave to get an abortion or whatever. It's going to create such messed up like dynamics within the states where like some states, individual states are going to be like Gilead, like forcing women to give birth against their will and, you know, having, I don't know, like checks at the border to see if you have any pregnant women, you know, kind of some messed up stuff because it's going to get to a point where enough women leave, they're going to start freaking out about the dropping, declining birth rate. There's going to create more. If you have certain, some of these poor states with no women or fewer women, it's going to create a lot of like instability. Like think of all the single men that, you know, anytime you have more single men than women, it creates like social instability, right? So they're probably going to try to come up with strategies. It's like, (laughs) you know, you could create an environment where women would want to live, right? But they're probably not going to do that because that would be hard. They're going to go the punitive police state route of like, you know, kidnapping women or preventing them from leaving the state or whatever, like, or, you know, imprisoning women who are pregnant and forcing them to give birth. Like there's going to be some dark days ahead, honestly, in the United States. I'm not excited for what, how that's going to break out. Which is terrifying. And it's hard not to feel a sense of hopelessness and helplessness. But I guess I'm just saying, where do we go from here? And how do we strategize from here? The only way that I see that we move forward is either one, you allow the carnage to get so bad, it might end up being this way in these states where they've put an an all and out total abortion ban that either the women leave and hopefully don't get detained at the border by insane conservatives, which again, is a real possibility because they already have whistleblowers. Just look at how they fucking bomb abortion clinics. They are absolutely going to stop women at the border and prevent them from leaving. They have whistleblower laws too as well. So even if they don't stop you, you know, in Texas, they have the whistleblower law where somebody can call the cops on you if they suspect you of having an abortion and you can be sued. Or if they suspect you're trying to leave, like your neighbors who are pro-life, you know, they know you're pregnant and you want to get rid of it. They see you suddenly start packing up your car. They put in a tip and get that $10,000 reward like they have in Texas, right? Like that shit's dark. (laughs) Okay. I'm like, I have no words. Honestly, it's so shocking. So I think for this next segment, we can talk about how we think the overturning of Roe v. Wade will affect dating for the foreseeable future. So my sense is that business as usual will continue in the blue states where they have strong abortion protections. For women in the red states, you're talking about absolute carnage because we've talked about this multiple times here, but coercive control will be at an all-time high. If all you have to do is report or report a woman for attempting to end a pregnancy, if a woman's afraid of leaving a relationship because she's pregnant with an abusive man, um, abusive man's baby, if they start to expand father's rights, quote, even more so than they have, these women will live with incredible amounts of unprecedented restrictions. Yeah, everyone's saying delete your period tracking apps, like, you know, they're going to track use this data to, you know, verify if you were pregnant, like course of control from like individual men and from the government is going to be at an all time high. So don't give them anything on you, sadly. 
So the narrative that's coming out from conservative women is that a lot of them feel that they're being pressured into abortions by the boyfriend or the family of the boyfriend so or their own family. So there's a lot of women who are celebrating this because they feel that in their circumstance, they may have wanted to keep the baby, but felt that they were being pressured or bullied by the culture to make abortion the final solution for their issue. So the problem is, is that it doesn't get rid of the element of coercive control, which is other people being able to make that decision for you. It just makes the decision the other way. I want to say like, first of all, ladies, if your man or your man's family want you to have an abortion, you need to fucking run. Whether you keep the baby or not, you need to run. Because when you're in a relationship with someone who doesn't want you to keep the baby, that's actually a very dangerous situation. A lot of women end up murdered. I hate to say it, but a lot of women will probably end up being killed actually by their male partners who don't want to have to pay child support or don't want to be a father, right? Abortion actually protects women from that. It's actually true. And also like homicide is one of the leading causes of death in pregnant women. Like a pregnant woman is more likely to die of homicide being murdered than a pregnancy related complication. Yeah. And it's terrible that women are in that situation where like they have to have an abortion, like situations where women are forced to have an abortion because the alternative is being murdered is a terrible, terrible situation for women to be in. And it's like a huge form of female oppression. And these laws don't seem like they're going to protect women that much. And I think what's happening is that they are hoping these laws will protect them from male violence for women who want to keep their baby. It's going to have the opposite effect. That's the thing. Like conservative women are so fucking naive. They don't understand how men work. They don't understand the depths of male depravity. They're in complete denial over it. They're like, I know good men. My father's a good man. My brother's a good man. I don't think a man would do that. And like, (laughs) I don't know what to say. Some of these women, the only way that they learn is through the hard way, unfortunately. Like, you know, us women, we can warn them all we want. They're just going to call us fucking fem cells like they do on EV Magazine. Okay. Sis, it's your funeral. Like, I'm at the point with some of these conservative women, I just almost want to wash my hands of them and let them suffer. Let them suffer the consequences of their own fucking political activism. Well, what scares me actually is the fact that there will be an influx of unwanted children in the foster care system and foster care systems are an absolute nightmare in this country. That's the thing that motivates me even more so than trying to save conservative women from themselves is the reality of an influx of unwanted children who will be subjected to abuse and trafficking. And to quote Amy Coney Barrett when she was talking about the deficit in the supply of domestic infants, because she talks about people as if they're a commodity, the issue with increasing the amount of children in the foster care system is like the current infrastructure is not set up to take care of the children who are there. There's no preparation along with this bill for the reality of taking care of the increased strain on the foster care system from unwanted children. Like there's just, there may or may not be enough homes to place all these children in. Oh, I'm sure they're going to do the same thing like that they did with the kids at the border where they separated the parents and the kids. They just like put the kids in foster care. Most of those kids end up disappearing, probably like kidnapped or trafficked or fucking sold into sexual slavery. God knows where, right? Uh, sold to pedophiles to make child porn. Who knows, right? Like these poor ass like states that don't give a shit about human lives or children's lives that have terrible social programs. That's probably exactly what's going to happen to all these kids of, uh, you know, who would have otherwise been aborted. I'm sorry to be dark, but like, I'm not going to mince words. Like shit's going to get fucked up. Yeah. I mean, there's no nice way to talk about it. There's no way to sugarcoat what's going to happen. There's no way to reduce the carnage without some kind of massive intervention on the federal level. And like the Democrats are fucking competent, impotent imbeciles. They'll never do anything. Like, the Republicans are the only one that have any political will or political, like, vigor, and they're fucking psychotic. So, (laughs) it's like, what else is there to say, honestly? God. We're witnessing, like, the end of man. Like, literally the end of the American empire. And, like, there's other shit going on in the States that's, like, causing the decline of, you know, the American uh, exceptionalism. I don't know what's the right word for this. Like, American hegemony. But this is one of the reasons. Can't get healthcare, can't get gun control laws passed. Like, it's a mess. It's not a a fun or, uh, like, this is not a funny episode. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, this isn't really a fun episode. It's just sort of a ranting episode. There's just a part of me that wants to vent, but also like talk about doing the hard work of changing minds and changing the minds of individuals, right? I know that other people don't agree with me. I know people felt like they were, quote, traumatized when we brought a conservative onto this podcast. I would really be interested in hearing from our listenership how they feel about this and what they think can be done. Because the answer to me is like, either we work to turn people in the red states through changing hearts and minds, through talking about the importance, through answering the questions and the narratives of women who are on the conservative side who are rightfully scared of coercive control, as well as feeling like they don't get supported if they're young mothers, addressing those types of issues specifically and talking to them and trying to pass abortion rights on a federal level, or we just let everybody be left to experience the absolute devastation and carnage that is of women not having access to their own bodily autonomy. I mean, not to be depressing, but I was reading a lot of accounts from women who work in the healthcare system, who, especially those who who worked prior to Roe v. Wade being passed, and women who are also elderly at this point who were alive and were pregnant before Roe v. Wade was passed, and the amount of children who were abandoned, the amount of women who were murdered because of uh, children the men didn't want, the amount of of women who bled out from pregnancy complications, who had literally rotting fetuses inside of their uterus because they couldn't get abortions. The women who tried to go to an abortion clinic that was in secret because they weren't fully licensed and men took advantage of them. Literal abortion doctors who took advantage of the most vulnerable women being harassed in the streets by anti-abortion activists being threatened under violence. Women who are in marriages, but they can't even afford to take care of all of their children becoming destitute and losing their children to the state and being jailed for for neglect because they can't afford to take care of these children. This is the future and it's upsetting and it makes all of us angry. This is it. Children who are horribly abused. I don't know. Part of me is like, on the one hand, I feel like some of these conservative women aren't going to like, part of me is like, okay, I'm not really interested in saving some of these conservative women for themselves. Like they're just going to have to live with, they're just going to have to suffer the consequences of their decisions. Honestly, Lilith, I'm scared for the kids. I'm scared for the kids. That is true. And unfortunately, like kids can't vote. Like they're completely like the victims in all this. They have no ability to protect themselves. They rely on adults to protect them. People do horrible things to children they don't want. Yeah. And take it from someone who has people in my life who've worked for the state, especially for CPS. People do awful, unspeakable things to children they don't want. Yeah, exactly. It's like sometimes abortion, honestly, is like the merciful way out. Is the more merciful option. Yeah. It's merciful. And even people who want kids, it's still tough. Like my sister and her husband have just had a baby and they wanted it. It was planned. They're excited. But like two days in, my brother-in-law just broke down like crying, like never cries. And my sister actually thought he was going to commit suicide because it was so difficult. And even, you know, the child is wanted. It's still really, really hard. And this is why even if I was pro-life for myself, I can never make that decision for another person I just couldn't do it and I wouldn't even want to make that decision for another person that's the thing that pisses me off about this is like to piggyback what you're saying earlier Ro it's like I'm saying that some of these conservative women are just gonna have to suffer the consequences of their actions but it's not even them that's going to suffer the consequences it's the children who had no part in this who are going to suffer the most and it's the women who need the abortions that like it's, you know, they may not suffer in the sense that, you know, the ban on abortion, you know, they think it should have been banned anyway, but it will affect the people that need it. And also another thing as well is that they're not going to stop here. You know, Clarence Thomas has also said that other aspects, you know, landmark ruling should also be up for, you know. He wants to ban contraception, but wants to ban same-sex marriage, like psycho shit. This is also why I'm also getting really, really angry at the British feminists who are like, well, we're not like America. It will never happen here. You know, what this ruling has, you know, hopefully, you know, shown women around the world is that we can't afford to be complacent with our rights. We have to fight for them every single day. We have to make sure each time there's an election that we're showing up and voting for the candidate who is least shit and crazy. You know, we just can't take our rights for granted. This is why we need feminism. There's been a lot of talk on the left of the Democrats who try to support anti-choice Democrats. And this is coming from both 
two most prominent female leaders in the Democratic Party, Nancy Pelosi, as well as Hillary Clinton. And I posted this on my Twitter. Hillary Clinton picked Tim Kaine, who was not in support of many of the provisions that protect abortion rights, including the Hyde Amendment, a legislative provision barring the use of federal funds to pay for abortion, except to save the life of the woman or if the pregnancy arises from incest or rape. So Nancy Pelosi, Majority Leader Steny Hoyer of Maryland, and Democratic Caucus Chair Hakeem Jeffries of New York endorsed Representative Henry Queller, who was an anti-choice Democrat from Texas, against a challenger who was pro-abortion rights. So it seems like even the women who are elected on the Democratic side don't take this seriously and didn't take this seriously as a wedge issue to disqualify people from the Democratic Party. So on the right, you have the hardcore religious conservatives who think that no abortion should be legal anywhere, as well as like moderate Republicans who are with a sprinkling of moderate Republicans who are pro-choice with severe restrictions. And then on the left, you have a bunch of milk toast, lukewarm people who are vaguely pro-choice, but not willing to do anything to protect it. Yeah. And that's how we got in the situation we're in now. Yeah. So I guess like all the lesson here is like, don't be like milk toast about your rights. You should be fiery. You should be passionate and like 100% pro self-interest because like these other fucking people, man, like people that we're up against, they're crazy. Like they're, and they are like willing to fight to the death to get what they want and, and to fight for their interests. We can't be milk toast about fighting for our own interests. And they show up, they donate money to these causes, you know, they will campaign. So this is also what we need to be willing to do. If we can afford to put our money where our mouth is, we need to show up to vote. We can't, you know, be complacent because, you know, you choose to stay at home and fold your arms and sort of adopt a you know, victim mentality, as tempting as that is sometimes because it's so shit, you know, then the other side, they're going to be going out organizing and voting and getting the votes they need to push their agenda. Right. And they're going to be doing it in red states. And I don't mean to, once again, lambast the Democratic Party or anybody in the left, but there's a lot of protesting and a lot of not strategizing. And the problem is, is if you're just rallying within the states that already agree with you, then you're effectively not doing anything, right? You're preaching to the choir. There's no point. Exactly. And so that's why, even though I know I'm taking a lot of flack, I'm going to get a lot of hate for it. Like, I don't see a way out of this unless you start the groundwork in red states. Like, you have to start listening. You have to start changing the minds of individuals you have to start taking the time to create counter narratives to the women who are reachable right i don't think we need to listen to them they need to fucking listen to us fds for example like i don't know i feel like we don't go out there really like and evangelize a lot people find us a lot of women like they've gone through a traumatic experience with men or you know they've basically they've come to realize like hmm like things are fucked up now like you know how should i try to fix it and then they eventually find fds right like i don't know i feel like a lot of these like it's so hard to break into other people's echo chambers and they're just not interested in listening and the republicans the only thing that causes them to change their mind is like a personal experience like they'll be anti-gay marriage until their daughter comes out as lesbian they'll be anti-choice until you know some Someone in their life that they care about needs an abortion, right? Like, unfortunately, like some people just don't learn except for the hard way. And sometimes even then they don't learn. I think what I'm scared of, like I said, I think I'm scared of the attitude of that there's nothing to be done or, or the only thing we can do is protest with the people who already agree with us and protest in the States with people that already agree with us. Like, you know, when you look at like all the biggest demonstrations, it's in places where abortion rights weren't really under threat. Like people in, are showing out in California, people are showing out in DC, people are showing out in New York. Those are states with very generous abortion laws who were never passed anything that was anti-choice. So I think the question to me is like, how serious are we as feminists, right, about this? Like, I think it's an existential threat to our existence as women if we don't actually do the work to change these things in red states. Because remember, this has generational fallout. All the children that'll be born today into circumstances, you know, maybe two, three generations down the line when people start to revisit the abortion laws in these states, people will see the consequences consequences of that. But the scary thing to me is like much like the drug war, there could just be like massive amounts of death, violence, and all sorts of other things before we create a bipartisan consensus that having abortion 
having a choice be protected for women in all of these states is the lesser of two evils, so to speak, right? In the same way that we say like legalizing certain drugs is quite superior than to criminalizing people who are drug addicts, right? And just putting them through the legal system forever. So that what I'm afraid of is like, yes, we leave them to their own devices, but that could be another 30, 40 years. Basically, you're saying like, we need to change hearts and minds in Republican states. And I'm of the view of like, nah, leave them to their own devices, let them suffer the consequences of their own actions. If there are women in those states who want access to abortion, I support like, you know, I think the type of organizing that would be more worthwhile is like having an asylum system or, you know, evacuating as many women as possible out of these states, you know, the women who can't afford to leave or who want to leave, but can't afford to basically. And I think that's like, I think that this needs to actually be the way that we solve issues with women's rights is like, if you're not going to create laws, or you're not going to create an environment that is female friendly, the women will leave and the community will die. I think that's actually the only way to solve some of these problems like the Mormon communities, for example, or other highly oppressive communities to women. Like the solution is to get the women to leave, basically, and like help the women to understand how to like that they can leave and support them in leaving as much as they can. Like trying to take like the polygamous Morgans and make them more progressive, for example, is much more difficult than trying to just get the women out of that abusive situation in the first place. The community will collapse when the women leave, right? You know, Warren Jeffries is actually still around kicking, by the way, even though he's in prison. Like there's, he still has like a lot of supporters. I didn't finish the Keep Sweet or the Keep Sweet and Pray I started it. Yeah. Yeah. But apparently he still has a lot of dedicated followers. This is the scary thing to me is that a lot of women are very easily indoctrinated, even when all everything around them is falling apart. And so I'm just worried at the like the abandonment rhetoric. And then I'm worried that it won't stay contained in the way that people think it will. I think blue states are probably safe in protecting abortion rights, but I'm afraid you can lose the culture war or the cultural conversation around abortion if you don't put feelers out there to constantly, constantly talk about the issues women are facing with their reproductive rights and issues. And especially when we're talking about like the sexual cultural war, it seems to be why there's been a resurgence for pro-life on the right. And a lot of it has to do with, at least this is what a lot of the conservative women are quoting, them feeling alienated by hookup culture. Now, rightly or wrongly, if they feel like that's great. I mean, and we talk about being alienated by hookup culture. I think I'm just concerned that if we don't make the steps forward to address these issues and be very loud about it and be like, be accurate and give them a counter narrative to what the Republican Party is going to give them, then the Republican Party will give them one and it'll be extremely anti-woman. Yeah, I feel like the consequence of not being female friendly should be that you lose access to women is like what I'm saying. And and a lot of these women who are against hookup culture, you know, we rail against hookup culture too. And our solution to hookup culture is like block and delete, right? Like if a man's not investing in you, don't give him access to your body kind of thing. Right. And I'm not really sure why, like some conservative women like FDS because of that. They like the fact that we tell women like, you don't have to put out right away. You can make a man wait for sex and like the man's supposed to invest in you. And like, a lot of conservative women do like FDS because of that. I don't know what to say. It's like, sis, like banning abortion isn't going to get you the result that you want. Nobody thinks it will except for them because that's the line they've been fed by the patriarchs and by the Republican Party. And what I'm saying is if you start to lose the narrative, if you start to lose the information war, then men will create one in the absence of you creating one. Yeah, we definitely need to create a counter narrative for sure. And that's been like the issue, I think, with women's rights in general is a lot of women are identifying problems in their life and then men just sort of uh, swoop down like vultures and then offer a snake oil solution, right? You get this, but you have to compromise this, right? Or you get this, but we're going to take away this other right because you can't have this if you have this, right? And that constant negotiating, it seems like that each side of women is making a deal with the devil about how to negotiate their existence and their rights in relation to men, right? And the way that you win in a negotiation is by being willing to walk away. True. Honestly, like that's so important. It's like, ladies, like stop putting yourself in a situation where you feel like you have to negotiate away your basic rights or your basic interests and stuff. You can just be like, I want it all. You don't have to compromise. 
So you see like the bubble that we talk about liberal feminists exist in where they feel like, oh, a man should be able to expect sex after three dates and that it's unfeminist to expect a man to do anything special for you because you're equal. And then focusing on trying to push women to be more like men and like drag the sexual culture to the absolute drag to uh, prove that women are just as like depraved as men, while a lot of women within this culture are being abused and taken advantage of because they're pushing this narrative that makes no sense. I feel like that also just happens on the conservative side where like they're being told by the men over there that the reason why these guys sexually harass you is because of hookup culture. You want a husband and you want like your 2.3 kids and you want a nice life and you have to attack abortion and you have to attack the leftists who want to sexually exploit you, right? Like they're in a similar bubble. And what I'm scared of is like that we won't be able to reach anybody. Like I'm scared of just only focusing on this bubble and not focusing on the other bubble and then completely abandoning it when like I do think a portion of them are very reachable and ultimately we do need them to actually get anything passed on the federal level in these red states. I guess I'm just like, if we can poke through the liberal bubble, is it possible to poke through the conservative bubble? Not all of them, of course, but some of them. Yeah, much in the same way that there are some like lib fem pick who are just beyond saving and like they'll never learn except from the consequences of their own actions and even then they might never learn. There are conservative women like that too, right? So I think the best we can do and like the most achievable thing is just to, you know, focus on like-minded women who are feel the same way about the problems that we're facing of like, you know, we don't like dating culture right now. We're not happy with the way that men are treating us and so on. Right. And so the, the conservative men are like, haha, it's the feminist fault. This is happening to you. Like they told you to go out in the world, et cetera, et cetera. Then they read some Bible verse and work and pay for dates and stuff. And yeah. So again, it's like, I'm not going to bend over backwards trying to cater to conservative women. I'm just going to continue with the FDS, you know, the push forward with the FDS, you know, existing narrative. If conservative women like that and they want to join us, then they're welcome. But yeah, other than that, I'm like, I feel like I also need to set some boundaries with women who are not ideologically aligned with me in a way, you know, I think it's sad that like leftists are always trying to like, Oh, let's reach out to conservative women. And it's like those conservative women, a lot of them don't want to be reached out to. And it's like kind of pathetic. (laughs) I think we see the ones that are really sad, right? Like, so the next Instagram post next to this one about the hookup culture is a bunch of Instagram comments about women who had abortions and regret it and who feel haunted by it, who were pushed into it under unfavorable circumstances and who were coerced into it. So again, a lot of this is that their solution to what coercive control is. And if I feel like if you don't poke the bubble here, a lot of them are feeling like, okay, I was pressured into an abortion I didn't want. So this video that they put here is like, quote, women don't regret abortion. And it's like written sarcastically. And it says, if I could go back, I wouldn't have had one. It was with my current husband when we were young and in college. No one talks about the pain and the emotions that go along with such a heartbreaking decision. It's not something to be taken lightly. We have to elevate the voices of people's regrets. You don't need to make abortion illegal to avoid that, right? Like I said, most of it seems like what they're upset about is the coercive control aspect of it. That like the culture is encouraging them if they're too young to financially support their baby to have an abortion. But they're like, I would rather have had my child and what they're calling right to life. Like right to life advocates are saying that society should be restructured in such a way that women should be able to have children whenever they want rather than the current culture, which is basically discouraging women if you can't afford a child to have an abortion. So I think a lot of them are expressing the regret because they feel like they shouldn't. Yeah. And these women are, they don't support social programs that would help. Like they rail against, you know, welfare queens and single moms relying on welfare and stuff like that. Like they basically want men to step up and like pay for their kids and stuff. Right. But like banning abortion isn't the way that you're going to do that. And most of these women don't support Conservative women generally don't support. I think they don't know that banning abortion is not going to do that. Because remember, a lot of these, a lot of these women are young. That's what I mean about them being fucking naive. Like, <laughs> right? They're in a bubble. I agree. They're in a bubble. Like this one says, this woman says, I don't know not one woman personally who shared that they had an abortion with me who really wanted one. They were scared. Their parents, their family, their advisors were fear mongering them. They thought that was their only choice because bringing that child to term would somehow ruin everything. And when they try to share their feelings and experiences, they are antagonized by women who've had abortions with a allegedly no regrets. If you have no regrets, all right, but don't dim the trauma of others because you feel threatened. You'd be surprised how many have been in dark places and abortion was a potential choice and they really wished it wasn't and would do anything to go back in time and do things differently. So I guess I kind of look at these women very similar to detransitioners in the sense that like they were coerced into a medical decision that they deeply, deeply regret by maybe well-meaning people. 
And we're not told about other options. They didn't feel like there were other options. They were maybe railroaded into the medical decision. And like I said, I feel like it's fair to try to address this aspect of coercive control where people are being pressured into abortions they don't want. And the culture supports and just kind of unilaterally supporting women who can't afford to have children to have abortions. Like I think on FDS, like we would always say that's the better choice, but it shouldn't be that we exist in a society and a culture in which if a woman for whatever reason chooses to have her child, there's no nothing there by way of support for her, right? I get that, but like, I understand like their feelings and their perspective and stuff. What I don't get is like the seeming like lack of critical thinking skills of like, okay, this is a problem that I've had. Like, how do I go about strategizing to find a solution? Like, you know, they were saying, oh, you know, I felt coerced by the culture and so on. Okay, then the solution is how do we create an environment or a culture where women who are pregnant feel supported and their lives won't be ruined by an unplanned pregnancy, right? So that conversation would probably go something like, oh, you know, we probably should have some kind of like social programs or something like that. Again, conservatives, they don't support social programs. They think it should just be like, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and maybe, you know, get support from your family or something like that, but have a very individualistic approach to these kinds of problems, right? And yeah, like banning abortion isn't going to get you the result that you want, sis. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I'm just going back to think like young women, they're like, say they're 18 or 19, young, married, pregnant, but they can't afford to have a kid. Imagine if abortion was illegal and they were actually forced to carry that pregnancy to term and how different their life might be. Their life might actually be worse, honestly. Like right now they're saying, oh, I had an abortion, I regret it. Well, we I don't know what their life is like, but they probably have like a job and a career and, you know, maybe a house and their life is probably like all overall like fine, you know, but they regret. They're thinking, oh, you know, my life would be so great if I have a kid. Well, you know, you might have a kid, but you'd also probably be poor. You might not have finished your education. You know, your life might have turned out way differently. It could have turned out a lot worse, right? Who knows? It could have turned out better. Maybe some people are lucky they get support from their families and stuff, right? But they just don't really seem to think about like, I don't understand these people don't like think it things through to the end. They just think, oh, you know, I had an abortion when I was younger and I'm sad about it and I regret it. Okay, but like, take it the, mentally the next step. I think we got to help them. Yeah, like all of you women out there who regret your abortions, like think critically, like what would your life have been like had you kept your baby? Would you have finished your school? Would you have the job that you have now? Would you be with the same man, right? Or would you be with the men we are now? Because you have to remember, a lot of these women aren't necessarily college educated. In fact, I think overwhelmingly women on the right are less college educated than the left. So you're talking about women whose life, they might be working the same shit job they were prior to them having the abortion. So their life might not have been significantly changed. And they're thinking, oh, my life would be so magical. I'd be a housewife with kids and stuff like that. Like, yeah, if you're lucky and you marry the right guy who can support you, but a lot of women don't end up with that. A lot of them end up single mothers or end up in abusive relationships. Like they have this like fantasy of what their life would be like if they hadn't had an abortion. And it's like that fantasy is not true. That's not how it would have turned out, right? Again, it's like so hard to talk to these people who are like, operating this fantasy world or they make decisions based on like essentially a fantasy and not based on like the way that the world actually is right it's hard to strategize with people like that or come up with strategies for them because they just don't think strategically yeah i mean going forward to wrap up this episode I think we just talked to Melissa Hobley last week about the fact that they had added the pro-choice sticker on Okay, Cupid. I think for those of us who are pro-choice, we reiterate our stance about being pro-choice when we go out to date. And as much as we can, like keeping abortion rights intact uh, while vetting for men and that you're allowed to vet for men and you don't have to have some excuse while you're saying no. Abortion doesn't have to be illegal for you to say no to sex to men. Well, they think it's going to coerce other women and then like reign in the hookup culture is what they're scared of. Um, but as far as like just the dating strategy, I think for those of us who are already in the know, like keep it on pussy on lockdown. Like if he doesn't support your right to choose, like you choose not to give him your vagina, period. Keep that pussy on lockdown. God, even for men who are pro-choice, like you never know. They could come for your womb next. Okay. You never know what could happen. The women in Ukraine who were surrogate mothers, you know, they didn't know that there would be a war that would like break out that would like completely ruin their lives. Like right now, you know, that you could be living in a blue state. You could be living in a blue state and you think things are fine now. You never know. Okay. Keep that pussy on lockdown until a man who can properly like provide for you. I hate that the, like, as much as I rail against conservative women, like I hate the fact that like 
the only solution, <laughs> the best strategy, I guess, to, you know, abortion being banned is to be extremely strict about the men that you sleep with. That's what I hate about it, that that's what they're forcing women to do. But unfortunately, like, that's just the world we live in now. And we have to work with that. Men will get more coercive. That's the messed up part about it. And it's also the problem with conservative culture thinking marriage is the ultimate goal, because let's say you can get married to a horrible man, right? Like a horrible men do want to get married and they do get married. So these women who are counting on the increased motivation for men to commit because first of all, abortion has been outlawed. First of all, there's no guarantee that men are going to feel more coerced to commit just because you have a child. <laughs> so let's put that right out there right now. There is absolutely nothing that guarantees a man will stick around to raise the child that you choose to have, right? So if you're counting on that ending hookup culture, it may or may not. All it might do is like create a lot more single mothers and it may not have any effect on like may not bring back this utopia y'all are thinking of that suddenly. But that utopia never fucking existed, by the way. Yeah, like the woman stayed home with their kids while the men supported her and everything was great. It was never great, even for our grandmothers and our great grandmothers. Okay. Yeah, some women, I mean, straight up, they used to have like 10, 11, 12 kids because, you know, they couldn't get birth control. Some of them died. Some of them like were literally raped and forced into having multiple children. You know, it was absolutely hell for women back then. And again, these stories aren't, I don't know why the stories aren't being front and center in everyone's mind when we talk about like the reality of what women went through before abortion was legal. So I think the conservative women who think marriage is going to protect them from hookup culture or shitty men are delusional. Y'all are delusional. That's all I have to say super delusional about that one super super delusional I mean, yeah. <laughs> just really let that sink in <laughs> oh my god sorry it's like i'm so angry okay yeah i think we're all just angry and i know this has been kind of a rambly episode but we didn't really have time to prep it thank you for listening to our stream of consciousness episode yeah stream of consciousness episode <laughs> but let us know um let us know in the thread that's on the website to this episode like what you think can be done obviously lilith and i have presented counter arguments here about what can be done to realistically change the cultural conversation on abortion and eventually have that manifest into federal law to protect abortion rights for all women in all states in the united states of america lilith's like the cut and run and let them suffer <laughs> for a couple of generations and figured out the hard way. Maybe not a couple generations. I'm thinking like five years of this and then they'll probably have enough. I don't know if you understand the stubbornness of the United States. I'm like, no, this is going to take decades to fix. <laughs> I know Canadians would only suffer for five years. They will be in denial for a very long time when something's not working. Oh my God. Okay. I'm looking at this as like a decades long reversal, at least maybe 20 years of slow incremental pushback on the abortion restrictions in the red state. So I'm more of the opinion that as much as we can with the people we can, we start to actually do it the old fashioned way, which is like change people's mentality, especially women who are otherwise politically different, present solutions that actually address the issues they're dealing with. Because I, I sometimes feel like the right and left both creates caricatures of each other. And I think that's by design is to keep people from talking. And honestly, it's not just about abortion rights. It's about labor rights. It's, there's so many things in this country right now that are very important for the livelihood of people are being purposely led to separate themselves. And there are wedge issues being driven by both parties to make sure that there's no consensus among the people who are going to suffer the most. And this is like, this is, a, this is a strategy that's been, you know, implemented over and over again by the powers that be, by people who who are elite in government to keep you from talking to other people who are maybe politically different from you, but creating consensus. I'm like, yes, I know a lot of people on the right are horrible racists and just their entire existence like pisses you off. And I mean, it's like, I don't disagree. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like I don't disagree with you. <laughs> Let them suffer. Okay. So I want to be clear. I want to validate that feeling because I, I remember the fallout when we had Elon and a lot of people were feeling like these people want us dead. I don't necessarily think everyone wants you dead, but they are actually frustrating, angry and racist and selfish. They're just selfish and naive and stupid. That's really what it is. Like, oh, not all conservatives are motivated by malice, although some of them can definitely be malicious. A lot of them are just undereducated, inbred, and fucking stupid. Let's, I'm just gonna, I'm not, I'm not interested in outreach. I'm just like, 
Fuck you people. I just think it's that the men of both parties set the agenda. They set the terms in which we're allowed to negotiate our rights. And a lot of women, because they've never been given an alternative narrative, don't even know that they're gambling their rights away. They think they're making deals that are going to work out for them. And they don't see the loopholes in all of the deals because they're kept in their political bubble. They don't see what could happen if they don't pay attention to the, the cultural fallout of the decisions they make and the deals they make with men that are not going to benefit them. And we've talked about this on the left, obviously, with liberal feminism. And we've talked about this on the right with traditional conservatism. They are in a bubble. They are making deals with men that are deals with the devil. And if you don't start to poke holes, even in sometimes like talk to people you hate that otherwise irritate the shit out of you, I think that the potential for good is worth it to the point where the individual, I mean, obviously everyone set their boundaries, but like each individual person who purports to believe in abortion rights should want to do that work in the capacity that you can, even if it's difficult. Like I said, I, I don't know that making a doing a drum circle in the bluest of blue cities and the bluest of blue states is going to do shit like for the women who are actually going to suffer the most. And I'm not saying, you know, it's a great way for people to connect and talk, but I'm like, the real work is the hard work. You know what I mean? The real work is the unpleasant, shitty work, you know, and that means sometimes talking to shitty racist people. There's precedents for this, right? Like there's people you know, there's like that very famous guy that uh, converted a bunch of Ku Klux Klan members. Like there's people that have done that kind of work. He was a black police officer. I commend men and women who have that kind of patience. They're lovely people, I'm sure. Honestly, mad respect. Persuasion skills, 10 out of 10. I don't have the <laughs> time, money, patience, or like, I don't know. Not faulting you for it, but I think I'm cautioning every all the knee-jerk people that are like, fuck conservatives, fuck, conservative fuck white women. Like, white women are this the problem, and this is like how we're voting against your own in interests. Even talking to a conservative person is like abuse and child abuse and trauma. Yeah, okay, that's a little too far, yeah. Oh, some people were saying that listening to that episode with Elle was like traumatic, and I was like, okay, that's a little, like, really? Like, okay, but, <laughs> you know, I hope this episode doesn't traumatize too many people. We have to do the same work to dismantle a system of attitudes that you would do with anything as much of an existential threat as women's reproductive rights. I know we're still dealing with the fallout of uh, slavery and um, Jim Crow laws in the United States and like the work is far from over. I'm looking at this like this has to be a long haul for women too. And we have to have the mentality that it's going to take little by little us talking to people and creating a narrative and uh, showing people the benefits in the same way that we've talked about race. And it's not perfect. It's not perfect by any means. I'm not saying it's not going to be difficult. I'm not going to say there's, you know, we're always going to make gains and it's not going to be two steps forwards and two steps back or one step back. But I'm cautioning people against staying in their bubble. I'm really, really, really afraid. I'm really afraid for the women in those states, as well as the children in those states, the fallout of this would be. And I know it's like, feels very satisfying to be like, ha, suffer. <laughs> It, those things tend not to stay contained in the way that they do. And I, I know there's been discussion about Clarence Thomas saying he wanted to reexamine the case that uh, made gay marriage legal in the United States. So if we don't launch an offensive to the people that matter the most to making these decisions, then there's no telling how much ground we'll lose. So it's a little bit scary. So that's our show. Thanks for listening to our episode and our rantings here. So let us know what you think on the website, www.thefemaledatingstrategy.com. Or you can let us know what you think on the Patreon Discord, which you can sign up for on our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash thefemaledatingstrategy. You can also submit a roast discroat, uh, ask us a dating question, etc. Check us out on Twitter at femdatstrat, as well as our Instagram at underscore thefemaledatingstrategy. This is a really tough episode. Thanks for listening, queens, and for all you scrotes out there. Enjoy the pussy drought. Bye, bish. See you next week. Die mad. Bye.